Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome in. It is Balloon Party, driven by Munganass, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota, Timothy Michael McKernan. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, in what is being called the very special edition of this program, there is no piddles. There is only Rocchio, Matt Rocchio. Good morning, Tim. How are you doing today? What do you say? What do you think about being in the Piddles position? I'm, I'm happy with it. You know, yeah. I, I I was talking to Little Piddles, and I was like, you know what? For these two <laughs> days, for these two days, I'd be okay with going by Big Piddles. Is that if that's oh, how you we want to go by Big Piddles? If that's how we have to do it. I'll I'll, I'll take that bullet and roll with it. Uh, well, there it is. Big Piddles is in here for the next hour. Jackson is out the next couple of days, and we welcome you uh, to participate in the radio program anytime you would like. Three one four three nine 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 six four six. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. That is how you can text into the show. Now, I was just talking with Randy about what you guys were discussing on the opening drive uh, to give a synopsis. And apparently, the opening drive called the shot that the Cardinals would average eight runs a game. And so, the math actually adds up to eight runs a game. It doesn't feel like eight runs a game, but there have been a few games, such as yesterday's, I guess, where it's lifted the total. I would have been, if you would ask me for what they've averaged this year, I would have guessed like five and a half. So I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah, they they said it before the season that it was going to be eight. The the highest the Cardinals have ever averaged, I think, in a season is like 6.4 or something like that. Was that by chance the 04 group? Uh, 2000 actually has the record. Oh, is that right? The highest run since World War II. um, 2000 has the most runs, but I think 04 is like 12 runs behind them or something along those lines. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah, the 04 team. 235 home runs or something like that. The uh, It's funny. Jim Edmonds uh, oftentimes would say that is the funnest year, funnest group of teammates he ever had was that 2000 team. And for those, and you, I mean, you're probably too young. I mean, maybe you can barely yeah, remember like the, it. That, yeah, I mean, that's right. a few, few games here and there. But I remember going into that clubhouse, the 2000 Cardinals. So Edmonds' first year, Daryl Kyle's first year, Ankiel was a rookie, uh, McGuire was still around. Will Clark, which certainly added a whole dimension. Uh, Ray Lankford, Eric Davis. I'm sure I'm leaving people out. But I was 23 and covering that team for KMOV. And those guys, one of the things that they were best at outside of offense was hazing my balls off. (laughs) Is that the team that's hazed you the worst? The 2000 Cardinals. Eric Davis would... He would. He, I had a buddy of mine who now works uh, for the Dowgies, um, and he at the time he worked for the Cardinals. The great Matt Poling, and uh, and and we're, we're both we're both dealing with a height challenge. Uh, it's something that we're fighting through. We're both hoping for growth spurts uh, as we're in our mid forties now, starting to wonder if it's going to happen or not. Candidly, and Eric Davis pulled us aside one time and gathered us in front of the roster and said, look at these two MFers. How is it possible for them to be so short? And they just pointed and laughed at us. And the thing about it is, we were both native St. Louisans who hoped to play for the Cardinals, and now here we are, quote-unquote, living our respective dreams, he working for the Cardinals, me covering the Cardinals, and anchoring on KMOV. And within the first month of the season, they're destroying our psyches. Did it make you go home and sit in bed and think, what did I do wrong? Oh, my God. 
what do I do? I remember watching this guy when he was with the Reds, and I thought he was the coolest guy, and now he's just tearing me apart. But I'll tell you what it did. It prepared me for Balloon Party. So I thank Eric Davis for preparing me for Balloon Party. You didn't drop to say, hey, Eric Davis, make an all-star game within the last 15 years and then talk to me. Didn't say it. I decided that wouldn't be the best thing. Uh, Will Clark, for whatever reason took a liking to me, but I kind of, in, with the benefit of hindsight, because he was notoriously ornery, um, and I think some of the guys were a little surprised that they traded for him. He was a trade deadline guy, because he was notoriously rough, but he came in, I think he had a home run in his first at bat off of Tom Glavin, if I'm not mistaken, at Bush Stadium, and he raked when he was traded, and I think that was in Montreal. Uh, and that team took off, and Clark was a great guy. And for whatever reason, he I, I, at the time, I thought he took a liking to me. But now, with the benefit of hindsight, I think it was more he felt badly for me. And he was like, oh, look, they let a cute little little boy in here with a credential, and he thinks he's on a show. And <laughs> and so he would he would always he'd always be kind to me. But God, there was a reporter at the time at KPLR, oftentimes referenced on TMA by uh, the great Jimmy the Cat Hayes, Dan Issa, and he did not like Dan Issa. And poor Dan Issa would ask a question, and it didn't matter if it was the most wonderful question ever asked of a ball player. Will Clark would challenge him, and and I recall one time in which. Dan Issa said, well, it looks like you're worked up into a, to a lather. It must have been pretty hot out there. And he goes, what do you mean I was worked up to a lather? And he kind of stares him down with those eyes, and they open up real wide as he asked the question. And he would be holding the king of beers, too, while he'd be, it was a different era. He would have, and he would have either J.D. Drew or Ankiel go fetch him a beer while he would tend to the media. And uh, he goes, what do you mean a lather? You're saying I get nervous out there, huh? And I'm going, man, this is great. I just hope he doesn't turn it on me because I'll wet myself. <laughs> I've already got Davis in one corner of the locker room. I can't have Will Clark going. I mean, these are all my childhood heroes that are just psychologically destroying me every time I walk into the... I remember asking McGuire one time, and because I, I, that was the year I got Barry Bonds to do an interview, a one-on-one interview for television. And at that point, I'm just like, I'll be the guy who just asks these guys, and either they'll do it, which will be great, or they'll tell me to piss off, which will be funny. Yeah. So I got nothing to lose. And I go up to McGuire, who at the time, now the McGuire you hear on when he's on, does he come on with you? I know Randy will interview him often. Yes, he's come on okay, the show Okay, so he's on regularly, yeah, right. He's incredible. Yeah, he's, I mean. He's incredible. So for media people who've been in St. Louis who are around for 1998, they're like, what in the world? This guy's totally different. But once he came back into coaching and talked about the performance-enhancing drugs, I think he felt like an albatross had been taken away, and he's just a guy now. And he's even admitted, like, I was not easy to talk to oh, back. Oh, is that oh, right? Yeah, he's oh, talked yeah. about that? He, I think it was our, it was last year's opening uh, opening day interview with him. He admitted, like, listen, I was so locked in that I, I was not a pleasant person outside of it. I understand that now. It was, it was really something else. But uh, at the same time, you know, how many people have walked in his shoes? And so I have some sympathy for it. But I recall walking up to him and again, he, he wasn't as amused by me as Will Clark was uh, confused or amused. I'm not sure which one it was. And Griffey was in town with the Reds. He, that was his first year with Cincinnati. And I'm like, all right, I know what I'm going to do. As if I'm like Dick Shap. I'm going to get McGuire and Griffey to sit down with me for Camo V. And I just look back on like, what in the hell was I thinking? Like the, the fact that they even acknowledge that I'm there, that they can see me is, is an accomplishment, much less that they'll both sit down 
for a one-on-one interview. And I said to uh, McGuire, I said, hey, uh, be, you know, because he and Griffey were initially the guys that were thought to be the ones that were going to break Maris's record. And then all of a sudden, Sosa. And do you remember? Well, you wouldn't remember. But do you know from your baseball history who else had a monster year in 1998 outside of Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and Ken Griffey Jr.? This is obscure. If you did it, I'm going to tip my cap. He had a 50-homer season out of nowhere, and I'm blanking on who it is. It's not Brady Anderson, which is the one that many people would default click to. That might have been the one my, my brain was going to. Greg Vaughn. Oh! Yeah. Super. I don't know if he got to 50, but he was he was surging. It was quite a time in baseball's history. Uh, but either way, um, I go up to McGuire and I said, did he hit 50? Yep. Hit 50 home run. How about that? Yeah. Nobody hit 50 the in the 1980s. Yeah, and the, oh, it, 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 what was Jack Murphy slash Qualcomm. Uh, so I go up to McGuire and I go, hey, uh, would you uh, would you be willing to do a sit-down interview with, uh, with me and Ken Griffey Jr.? And he looks at me and he goes, so he agreed to do that? And I go, oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to ask him. <laughs> he goes, okay. He goes, if he does that, if he says yes, I'll help your career out. And I go, oh, that was that was awfully direct, but yet accurate. <laughs> I like the honesty from the yeah. players. They understand I who they're really, all playing I, I, the game. I got, I got, no, well, first off, what am I going to say? It's like staring into an eclipse when I'm looking up at him. But then secondarily, he's right. <laughs> he didn't need to do that. I mean, what's he going to get out of it? And then on top of it, he knew he'll say yes because there's no way in the world Griffey's going to agree to it. So, yeah, sure, Tim. Exposure? Yeah, yeah, yeah exposure. <laughs> Ken wants to build his brand in St. Louis. So uh, just to wrap up said story, that interview didn't happen in a, in a shocking development. But the Will Clark postgame interview sessions were outstanding because he'd sit there with the king of beers and he would just light everybody up. Including some of his teammates. J.D. Drew, certainly. J.D. Drew is like an indentured servant for Will Clark. And this was only two months, and I feel like he had like a five-year career here, but he was only here for two months, and he made his mark. He certainly did. But yeah, Edmund said that was the funnest team he was on, and that team also could rake. I mean, you look back on that lineup, and they had you know some guys who either are borderline Hall of Famers. They, they really had a bunch of the guys who were a couple of years or a couple of non-injury seasons away from being in Cooperstown. And immediately, I would say, Edmonds, uh, Clark, and Davis would be guys that would be like that tier right below Cooperstown, although I still am adamant that I think Edmonds will wind up there. And then obviously, McGuire's situation is a separate one, but he was on that team. And I feel like I'm leaving a couple. Renteria was on that team. He's probably in that next category below. Um, And... uh, God, I can't. I feel like there was a couple more. J.D. Drew, I don't know if he would have gotten to that point, but he was certainly a big name at the time. Uh, Matheny had just come over, and uh, that was his first year in St. Louis. What do you see? Are you on the, the baseball yeah, reference of the 2000 like Cardinals? The, I mean, yeah, Vina was Sean at second Dunstan, base. Sean Vina. Dunstan, uh, Vina was at second base. Uh, Paquette and Polanco were both on the infield. Nice. Um, let's see who else is on this. Thomas Howard, Eli Marrero, Eduardo Perez. Yeah, the, and they had fun, man. I'm telling you, the night they won the Central, which was done in St. Louis, I was in awe. I mean, I'm you know 23 years old, so I'm still in you know let's go out and have a libation mode. But I was in awe of how these gentlemen got after it and how quickly they got after it. And uh, candidly, I really appreciated it. Uh, they were uh, having themselves a wonderful festivity. And the thing about that team is they swept Maddox, Glavin, 
And I don't know if Smoltz started Game 3. I was down there for that when they swept the Braves, and then they got after it again in Atlanta. Um, but that's uh, that's when they ran into the Mets. And unfortunately, for those of you who can recall it, uh, Ankiel started again in that NLCS against the Mets. And I think people were in their back of their minds going, boy, I hope it doesn't happen again. But we know it might happen. And unfortunately, it happened and, you know, that was the beginning of the end of his pitching career. I still think a movie should be made on the entire career of Rick Ankiel. It's a Disney film waiting to happen. What do you got there, man? I just, uh, the, the pitching on this team fascinated me. I don't think, I you could have offered me every dollar in circulation on the planet, and I couldn't have named Pat Henchin. Pat Henkin, who Henkin I think was in the year for the Cardinals. Look up Henkin, because I could have sworn... He had a a year with the Blue Jays where he was like in the mix for a Cy yes, Young. Yeah, he won the he won the Cy he Young won the Cy in '96. He went 20 and 10 with a 3.22 ERA. Of course, right around that he had years with 5.11 and a 4 ERA. So, an interesting player. And he had one year in, in St. Louis and he went 15 and 12 with a 4.72 ERA. If I'm not mistaken. He started the game the Cardinals were eliminated in, but it's possible that that was a Kyle on short rest situation. And if anybody in the audience, without going to Google, can name who made the last out of the 2000 NLCS, I would provide you with some prize. But candidly, I'm not just going to Venmo you money just on the off chance that you really honored my request to not go to Google. But it's so obscure because the Cardinals are getting blown out by the Mets. And I remember flipping over just to see, like, oh, is the last out been made? And I'm like... Rick Wilkins is on the team? And Rick Wilkins, if I'm not mistaken, made the last out of the 2000. And did he? Wow, you actually have that information. Yes, yeah, yeah. You f- uh, fly ball to center field? Yep, and that's what I, I can picture it. But I think, and Henkin went out there, and, and for whatever reason. He pinched hit for JD Drew. How about that, Tony? <laughs> already showing his love that would last a few more seasons before the Cardinals had that unfortunate deal in which they got Adam Wainwright in return. But uh, that LaRusso would have a Henkin jersey hanging up in his. His, right behind his desk for the next f- five years. And Martin Kilcoin of Ask Tony fame, I mean, a brilliant character. It's like Daniel Day-Lewis. He would go into mode doing this impression. He loved me, you know, Henkin. And we'd be like, yeah, the guy who was here for one year. Why is his jersey behind your desk? It's 2007. What the hell's going on here? But yeah, he had one year here. And the only thing I remember is I thought he wanted to want to Cy Young in Toronto and Larusa had his jersey hanging behind his desk for all those years. I don't know what it was about. Maybe somebody listening knows the answer. I obviously could have asked. I was there, but I was too busy getting hazed by Eric Davis and and Will Clark uh, for it to happen. Any other fun facts from the just, 2000 Cardinals? I mean, Daryl Kyle, Rick Ankiel, Andy Bennis in the starting five, fine. But just Garrett Stevenson and Pat Henkin just completely threw me Garrett his Stevenson. I could not remember Oh, Dan McLaughlin is in the clubhouse interviewing the Cardinals as they're having the cocktail party. And Garrett Stevenson had already, like I said, these gentlemen got after it real quickly. So they're already in a play. I mean, I remember seeing Sean Dunstan and Mike Timlin. I, I don't know if Timlin was still on that table. I remember Sean Dunstan going, wow, these guys, this is like my fraternity in, in the 90s in Columbia, Missouri. This is unbelievable. And Garrett Stevenson's doing an interview with McLaughlin. He's going, we got a great pitching staff. We got a great outfield. We got a great effing catcher. And Dan goes, oh, <laughs> I think Joe Buck was in the booth, and he, Joe, we'll send it back to you up in the, 
What a wonder. I don't know if that's on YouTube somewhere. It's like the Art Holiday Vince Coleman interview after they won uh, the National League East. Uh, yeah, Mount Rushmore of wonderful interviews in uh, Cardinal celebration history. Patty Maroon, if we want to include the Blue Stanley Cup run. Brett Hull, uh, rendition of Laura Brannigan's interpretation of Gloria. Uh, these are wonderful moments in St. Louis sports history. You're welcome to text in yours, 314-399-9646, 314-399-9646. Uh, no little piddles, but today it's big piddles, Matt Rocchio, and he is uh, on the ones and twos, fresh off of three hours of the opening drive. So we have the big piddles Thursday Throwdown, I guess, is what it's called, uh, coming up. And one of the topics you guys discussed is something that I was planning on discussing, and I didn't know you discussed it, which is relocation. And uh, and Randy and I were discussing the the, the angle you guys took. And uh, I have an interview here uh, from uh, a former MLB executive giving his perspective on what's actually going to happen with relocation. Relocation certainly a familiar topic in St. Louis. Uh, we will discuss it with Major League Baseball coming up on the other side of the break. You are listening to Balloon Party, driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party, driven by Mungan Asked, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota. I am Tim McKernan. That is Matt Rocchio. Filling in for Action Jackson, who is vacationing today and tomorrow. You are welcome to text into the program, Air Comfort Service, text line 314-399-9646. So, turns out on the opening drive this morning, Matt, you guys were talking about relocation. And uh, it's a topic that I was looking forward to getting into anyway, but uh, you had Greg Amsinger on, and he talked about it. Uh, set this up, uh, if you would, sir. Yeah, Greg had, had you know, despite the fact that it's, it's a bummer for, for the Oakland fans, Greg had a pretty positive view about the ownership, basically, or the move, I should say, basically talking about how, for him, Major League Baseball needs to get into 30 markets that appreciate baseball and where fans flock to watch games, and he thinks this is really getting them there. All right. We're getting, we're getting closer to where I personally want to be, which is 30 30- Two teams in Major League Baseball and all 32 markets really supporting the product. Right now, we have, with this news, we're going to have 29 markets supporting the product. We've got one more left to address. And to me, the Tampa Bay Rays are the best team in baseball. I said it before the season started that they're going to win the World Series. They'll never draw 20,000 fans until the postseason. And that's a problem, too. Yeah, and that so much of that is rooted in is what I would imagine came up uh, later on in the conversation because I know Randy and I were talking about it as he was heading out and I was coming in. So much of that situation in the Tampa area is where that ballpark is located. I realize the vast majority of people in St. Louis don't know, don't care, but it is. I don't even know what the equivalent would be in St. Louis because it's such a unique dynamic there with crossing the bridge and how the population center isn't there. We got a text on, during the morning show earlier this week from a Tampa Bay resident. Who oh listens, yeah, he, says, he goes, "I will never put myself on the other side of that bridge after a baseball game." He's like, "I'm never going to go to a game because I'm never going to deal with that travel aspect of the game." That's the core thing. On top of it, although I think that probably is the number one reason, if we were playing Family Feud, as to why the Rays just don't get crowds. And, and even I was looking at the box scores when they're in the midst of that undefeated run to start the season, and it was thirteen thousand. It was fourteen thousand. Can you imagine if the Cardinals were 13-0 and had a home game, you know, and what the ticket market would look like from a secondary market standpoint? 
But then you combine it and that building is like what the, you know, dome in downtown St. Louis is, except it's for baseball. So it's not even a a desirable place to go. I would think that it's next to Oakland, uh, the worst or one of the two worst in Major League Baseball, depending on your affinity for the old Fenway and the old Wrigley Field. Personally, I like them, but I know some people are like, man, once I get used to the accommodations of a 2020s ballpark, uh, I really have no love for Fenway or Wrigley Field. So I was reading this article uh, this morning before doing TMA. Uh, David Sampson's the former Marlins president. Now, I want to make this clear. David, are you familiar with this gentleman? Yes. Okay. So you had a look on your face that told me you take things with a grain of salt. Yes. When he talks. I think he was on Survivor. They had some Marlins. They tried to do like a hard knock show with the Marlins. I don't know if you remember that. I think this is when the new. Oh, man, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, so the new building was opened up down there. I mean, that thing. God, that was one of those things when it was. It's like I'm sure plenty of you have been at weddings where you're like, this isn't going to work out, you know? As the Marlins ballpark was being built, I'm like, this isn't going to work out. And how they got that thing passed is a phenomenon. Uh, it's right in downtown Miami. Uh, we will be down there and we stay at a place that's literal. And I go out on, you know, look outside. It's right there and it's just empty. And it's been, but it's been empty since they, since they built it. I suppose it's, I guess it's nice. I don't know. I haven't gone to a game in it. It's just, it's, it's just so random in the city. And what he was saying twofold on this topic with regards to relocation, because I don't know if anybody's talking about the Miami situation because Tampa and Oakland are the obvious ones, but it's not like the Miami thing has ever really gone real well, minus when they bought championships in 97 and had the Josh Beckett year in 03, and I think shocked both the Cubs, certainly, and then the Yankees in the World Series. He said with regards to relocation, um, his mindset is he does not think they are going to let Tampa uh, and Oakland move. And his reasoning for that is they want to drive up expansion fee costs. And if they let those franchises move, they're going to lose two of the teams or the cities, excuse me, that would be relocation candidates. So he didn't think it was actually going to happen. Now, this is staring in the face of the A's agreeing to purchase land that is right off the Las Vegas Strip and Rob Manfred giving it his blessing. So... Again, I want to emphasize grain of salt with this particular gen. It's like if, you know, I go, Kevin Demoff said this and people would go, well, yeah, then I'll take the opposite if you don't mind, Tim. So I understand. So with regards to the A's situation, I don't think, though, it's indicative of and maybe I'm just sympathetic as a St. Louisan because I know the vast majority of the country goes, oh, they didn't support the Rams. And we know that it wasn't the case. And so I'm not sure that they aren't good baseball fans in Oakland. They've just got one of the worst stadiums in sports, and the team has been operating on a shoestring budget for decades now, hence the emergence of the necessity that was Moneyball. Yeah, and, and if you look at the, just the fact of the ownership that is running that shoestring budget, yeah. how could that not infuriate you as a fan base? That's <laughs> exactly right. I mean, the guy the guy is one of the most cash-flush 
owners in baseball. I think he actually technically might be the most cash flush owner in baseball, and yet he does he, he acts like they have to run this shoestring budget. And then of course it's California, so the 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 idea of public money when you talk about a stadium and stuff, it's a non-starter. It's a non-starter. And so recently, if you're in Oakland, I mean think about it. think about it if if you're in St. Louis and two teams had just left, and I don't even know. I think I you know I can't speak for somebody in the East Bay, but my guess is you hate the Warriors going to San Francisco more than you hate the Raiders going to Las Vegas because the Oakland-San Francisco thing, especially from the Oakland side to San Francisco, it is not a lot of love. Think of whatever cities you would consider to be rivalry cities, and that is kind of an Oakland-San Francisco thing. Even though they're the Bay Area, there is it's a different world once you cross the Bay Bridge. Take your pick of whichever way you're going. It's a whole different thing. As far as potential relocation options beyond for Tampa, people talk about Montreal as a potential one. Randy and I were talking about Nashville. That's the big one. Uh, Charlotte, Portland is one that uh, that I have read oftentimes getting mentioned. Um, and then expansion, if Tampa doesn't relocate, uh, that that would be um, the cities that didn't get the A's or the Rays. I just don't know if it's an indictment of Tampa Bay baseball fans either. And this is the thing, and I think this just comes with being a St. Louis Rams fan. You look for the fan side of it as opposed to just what the easy narrative is. Oh, the fans just don't support it. So if you're in Oakland, I would imagine, and you're an A's fan, and as Randy and I were talking about, now this is, this predates me, but I know those 70s A's team were sick. I remember LaRusse's late 80s teams. I still think they might be the best teams that I can recall in, in my lifetime, maybe up there with that 98 Yankees teams. The thing I'm sure for A's fans and baseball fans would say they blew it because they only won one World Series with all of that talent. Uh, I, th- I think they were more powerful than even the Braves teams. Certainly the Braves did it with pitching and the A's did it with the offense. But with all of that said, and then they had the Moneyball era. So they have a history there, but they also have a ballpark that they were playing in then still. And it is just a, a, a dump. I just don't know if that's an indictment of the A's fans. Um, the Rays fan situation is a location situation along with it being a dump. And then what Samson said with regards to South Florida baseball, he said what people assume is that these markets would be golden for baseball, which is why they went out of their way to put a team in Miami uh, in the early 90s and a team in Tampa in the late 90s. But he said what we realized was, first off, there's not a corporate base in Miami, contrary to what people would think. And then secondarily, the income in Miami, while there is wealth in Miami, that wealth spends exactly six months and one day in the area and then heads back to home, which is usually in the Northeast. And they have no affiliation or real loyalty to any of the franchises that are playing during the summer because they don't live there and don't really care. I don't think it's as extreme Tampa. I think Tampa has a more uh, sound uh, corporate foundation base and you have more Tampa area natives, but certainly that's also a transient city. And so people may go, why do we have such great fans in St. Louis? And I'm not talking about like giving a standing ovation to Aaron Miles for his fifth time back. I'm talking about why events are supported like they are. And I think so much of that is the people who live here 
oftentimes grew up here. And so the love for the teams are part of the St. Louis culture. And it's just the way things are. But in Miami, in Tampa to an extent, um, in Atlanta, in L.A., I'm trying to take it just out of the South Florida thing. Uh, you have transient communities, and so their loyalty to take your pick of whichever one of those franchises you want to cite from those markets is not nearly as similar as it is in St. Louis. And so, therefore, you don't have the loyalty, and if a team is having an off year, uh, that is why you've seen teams actually move or get discussed moving from those markets take your pick of whichever one you would want to cite like they're still now talking about possibly an expansion hockey team in atlanta it it hasn't worked twice uh i just don't know if that's ever going to work just because it isn't something that has captivated that market and it's a transient market even though it's a huge growing market i think a big sign with that would be even if it wasn't a huge market necessarily when you're going for a record of an undefeated start you would expect the numbers to at least be 25,000. Oh the fact least. that it was still 13, 13 shows you the base, the hardcore fans just they you you drive you you sit in traffic to watch a record-breaking game. Yeah. And so the fact that that number didn't even get a little bit higher, I'm not, I'm not even seeing sellout, just a little bit more. I think that shows you the, the lack of the base. That stunned me when I went in there to like, wow, I wonder how they're doing now that they're, you know, in this spot where they're 11 on 0 and 12 and 0. And I, oh my goodness, 13,000, 13,000. It just shows it isn't really going to change and you're not going to get the money to build a new stadium. They've talked about it, but it ain't going to happen. I just, I'm, I'm pre-programmed after the St. Louis Rams situation to just automatically default to trying to see the fan base's side of it. And I think in both Oakland and in Tampa, it goes beyond, oh, they're just bad fans, just like it certainly went well beyond that in St. Louis. And I would actually argue that was just false and was just a narrative to to try to help uh, the scam uh, go down with the vote in Houston. All right, it is uh, 10.36 in St. Louis. Matt, how does my clock management compare to Randy's clock management? I want you to be, I want you to be blunt here. Oh, we have we have some interviews that that go pretty. Oh, is that hand. right? Oh, yeah. But what about when there's just a guy talking? Uh, we yeah, we, we we try to keep it a little bit closer, right? Just because. But again, we but have you've to... run the board for TMA, and you know we just don't break. No, what are you talking? About? Like, are you kidding me? My favorite thing at TMA will always and forever be. It is eight twenty-seven. We're gonna close out the seven o'clock hour. That there's nothing that makes me happier than, and it can be different things. It's uh-huh. it's nine twenty-four. Time to close out the eight o'clock hour. Right. That Absolutely. is the, my perfect description of TMA. Yeah, TMA could still be on the air right now, except I have to be on here, even though the show ends at ten o'clock. So there's the clock management here, ten thirty-seven. Now uh, this time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. We will take a break. Come back. BK and Ferrario are up at eleven o'clock. Even though we still have two segments here on Balloon Party, driven by Mangana St. Louis Acura and Toyota. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAP Podcast. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's balloon party on 101 
on ESPN. Tim McKernan, Matt Rocchio filling in for the vacationing action. Jackson, uh, you are welcome to participate in this program anytime you would like by texting in 314-399-9646. Matt, you guys have Adam Wainwright on every Wednesday on the opening drive. And he had an, an observation with regards to the team's slow start that I hadn't thought about until I heard him talking about this. And it has to do with the team getting a feel for each other perhaps a little late because of the World Baseball Classic. Well, you know, I love my time with the WBC. That was one of the highlights of my baseball playing career. Everybody who played in it said that. Talked to Tyler O'Neill about it yesterday. He said that. But consider this for a second. Goldie, Arenado, Michaelis, Wainwright, Edmund, Newt Barr, Tyler O'Neill, and several others. These are everyday players for the most part, crucial to the central of your lineup and, and pitching staff, pulled out of the entire spring training to play. And, and I do think it's a thing, man. You know, I think it's a thing where it might take a little time to gel as, as a unit afterwards, come together as a unit, get used to playing every day with, with that group. And I, I think that's something to consider, not a total excuse, but something to consider. I like the way that he phrased it at the end, because it's something to consider. He's certainly not saying that that is the reason. Um, what is what has the tone been from listeners uh, in Morning Drive here on 101 ESPN with regards to the Cardinals' slow start? Oh, they've been pretty. They've been pretty apoplectic about it. It hasn't been. A, it hasn't been a very even response. I would what say. What were the expectations from your listeners going into the season? I think people were definitely had the big questions about you know the, the Cardinals not getting that big starting pitcher in the offseason and things like that. But I do think a lot of the response has been couched by what happened to the Blues. Because every time you want to say it's the beginning of the season, this is just a rough patch, they say, hey, listen, you, we, that's what we thought about the Blues, and then they fell apart. Yeah. And so there's a lot, I think, St. Louis fans who are kind of traumatized by the fact that the Blues just fell off completely, and now they're worrying if the Cardinals are going to have a similar season. I used that exact analogy yesterday, Matt. It's funny that you bring that up. I was not in the mindset at all, and I was, if anything, candidly kind of confused by it. But the people who were saying it were people whose opinions, in particular when it comes to hockey, who I certainly, you have to respect and listen to because of the credibility. And I'm talking about the people who would be regulars on the show, uh, Rutherford, Pang, Kerber, going, yeah, this team's got some real problems. And I'm going, yeah, but what about the winning streak? And then, of course, a losing streak would follow in, in the easy goals and the many, many opportunities that were just sitting on the doorstep for the opposition. In other words, they, not everybody, but they were quicker to go, this thing might be off the rails back in November, for example, fresh off the winning streak. And so for the first time yesterday, now this is before they won, but one game does not magically change my opinion on on baseball. And I want to make it clear, I wasn't saying this was the case But Tuesday night's loss to Arizona, and especially the fact that up until the bottom of the ninth, it was it was tracking toward another blowout. It was the first time I had gotten to the point where it took me probably until later in December with the Blues where I'm going, boy, this just might not happen. Not saying that it isn't going to happen, but I opened myself up to the possibility that the Cardinals might have some real problems. I hadn't thought that was even possible. And again, for similar reasons that Adam Wainwright just said, you look at the division and then you look at the names on the roster and you go, even if the pitching staff is average or below average, they're going to have to be good enough to be better than this. And you also look at the current offensive statistics and really minus Nolan Gorman. Now, Contreras has been on a heater over the last five games, but minus Nolan Gorman, 
if you look at them and had to bet, are they going to improve or get worse, you would say that mathematically you would expect almost all of them, minus Gorman, to improve. Mm -hmm. So that is why I would think that there has to be some progression versus regression. But with that said, we saw this team struggle with a combination of the Rockies, Pirates, and Diamondbacks. I gave Jackson the option. I was going to bet him. You can have any of the three. If any of the three make the playoffs, you get paid. And he he wanted odds. I refused. He said, you're getting three teams out of 15. Yeah, that's... It's a pretty... You're getting 20% of the field. Uh, and he, he declined. Hey, the Pirates keep winning. And the Diamondbacks took two or three from the Cardinals. But... Uh, I don't expect them to be as in the mix as the Cardinals' next three opponents on this West Coast road trip, and that's the Mariners, Giants, and Dodgers. So it's a little concerning that I felt like, minus yesterday's game, really. Yesterday's game out of that three-game stretch with the Rockies, four games with the Pirates, and three games with the Diamondbacks, that was the only win that was never really in question. The others, they had to battle. And certainly they could have won a couple more, but they also could have lost a couple more. And that's the thing that stood out to me. I'm like, wow, they're struggling with a 10-game sample size to beat up on teams that aren't necessarily the dregs at the moment, but they could wind up, when it's all said and done, being, you know, especially the Pirates and Rockies, two of the worst teams. Hey, maybe the Pirates are back and Oviedo will win the Cy Young. I have no idea, but I didn't expect the Cardinals to have to battle like they did in order to get the uh, the five wins that they got from those teams. If you would have told me at the start of that 10-game stretch the Cardinals would go 5-5 five and five and they'd be fortunate to be 5-5, five and five, I would have said, whoa, that's something, something isn't right there. Your thoughts are welcome. One thing that the Cardinals may have done, I'll be nine years too late, is vanquished a former nemesis. I shall explain. That is coming up on the other side of the break. This is Balloon Party, driven by Mungan St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. It's driven by Munganass, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota. Tim McKernan, Matt Rocchio filling in for the vacationing Jackson Burkett. Uh, So in 2014, Matt, uh, the Cardinals ran into Madison Bumgarner. Hell, everybody ran into Madison Bumgarner that year. Uh, they ran into him on the other side of the state as well, and uh, he just was absolutely dominant. I don't know what the mindset of Cardinal fans or observers around baseball was at the time, but uh, I was a little surprised that the Diamondbacks gave him the five-year, $85 million deal that they did. But as I am reading this article... Uh, that I will uh, read to the audience here momentarily. Do you do you know we got to do this fair? All right, just like the Rick Wilkins thing. Can't look it up. Do you know how old Madison Bumgarner is? He is thirty-two. Wow, you actually went on the lower end. Oh, okay. He's actually thirty-three. I would have thought he he might be like in his in his early fifties. I thought so too. Okay. Uh, it was like six months ago, Wainwright mentioned that Mad Bum was younger than him. And I was like, he sounds like he's 12 years older than you. Right. And so I double checked and I was like, he's literally like a year and a half older than me. And I was I was blown away. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. Uh, he's 33 years old. So I, so I was against the deal for the Diamondbacks. And sometimes when Cardinal fans would bring up the ideal of, of, of Bumgarner, because I'm like, he's too old. And then I look at it, I go, oh, he was 28 when he signed his deal. 
Nice knowledge, asshat. You know? So here is the deal. The Cardinals might have finally gotten him because he might be done uh, with the Diamondbacks. And I don't really know who else would be looking uh, in his direction. But following the Cardinals just knocking him all over the ballpark yesterday, uh, the Diamondbacks said uh, they don't know what the next step for him is. His ERA is 10.26, and the Cardinals had five balls yesterday uh, that were more than 100 miles an hour off the bat. So it seems like they were squaring him up. I mean, it's the complete opposite of what he's doing uh, a decade uh, ago against the Cardinals and then the Royals. Uh, Tori Lavolo said, I don't know. I don't know. As we do with every situation, after every start, we group up as a staff and then sit down with the front office and figure out what to do next. That's what we're going to end up doing. The staff will sit down and figure out what's going to give us the best option in five days. We do the same thing after every start, and we'll do that again. That, to me, sounds like we can't put them back out there. And surprisingly, similar to the Pirates, the Diamondbacks, at this moment anyway, are lurking. If you had to buy stock in one, the Diamondbacks or the Pirates, which one would you buy? Uh, Diamondbacks. Okay, I'm with you on that. Because the West is just not what I thought it was going to be. Right, and and also, while the Pirates have been successful, keep in mind they were just in Colorado, uh, and I know the Cardinals had to fight for their lives out there last week, I still look at it and I go, I don't really know how they're doing it. It'd be a great story if the Cardinals are no good this year. I actually would. They have a passionate fan base in Pittsburgh for the Pirates. I don't know how many people really would think that because they see the attendance. But they've just sucked for so long that, uh, that you know, it, it looks terrible. But if you remember when the Cardinals played them in the NLDS in 13, that ballpark was lively as all get out. Fly the Jolly Roger is what they said, yes, Matt. Yes, they do. The Diamondbacks do have some bats in there, that, but they're just not necessarily household names. Um, and you have Merrill Kelly. Uh, but Bumgardner, you can't afford to have a pitcher go out and do what he is doing. He is 0-3 so far this season after the start yesterday in St. Louis. 19 earned runs and has just pitched 16 and two-thirds, and that's over four starts. So that's 19 earned runs and four starts in just 16 and two-thirds innings. Uh, His velocity is down to under 90, and last year it was at 91.2. Bumgarner said, I wish I had some answers. Not that I'm not going to look for them. I'm going to look for them, but right now I don't have any for you guys. I wish I did, but I don't. He is still owed $23 million this season, and then he is set to make $14 million Next season, uh, the Diamondbacks general manager said that they would not allow salary to impact his role. So if that is the case, if that truly is the case, I have no idea how he could possibly make another start. I, the biggest well, surprise to me is he's 33 years old. I just I can't believe he's 33 years old. I really, like, for real, if you would have said over under Madison Bumgarner and you would have said 33 and a half, I would have gone, oh, God, how much are you willing to bet on this? <laughs> You know, I'd be like, I, I hate to do it to you, another Southside guy, but I'm going to have to clean you out. And I would have been certain you could have said 36, and I would have gone, oh, he's over. Well, he talks like he, he talks like Johnny Cash late in his career. <laughs> like he talks like he's be 50 years old. Like it's insane. It's insane to me. He's that young. I don't I just, get it. He literally last year was complaining about kids these days, and I was like, he's got to be like 38. And I saw that he was like still 32, and I was like, you're a year older than me, guy. I uh, I, I and I guess maybe the way he carried himself in those postseasons and the even years with the Giants that you go, okay, he's he's been around for so long. I guess you could maybe say the thing like Clark Kershaw, but uh, for some reason Kershaw strikes me as is not having 
having that presence that Bumgarner does. I don't know why. Uh, maybe because the Cardinals got to Kershaw and they never really could crack Bumgarner until he was pitching for the Diamondbacks in a businessman special. Time for us to shut it down. BK and Ferrario are coming up next. Thank you to Matt Rocchio for filling in. And you Thank want to you, be Tim. known heretofore as Big Piddles. Yeah, totally okay with it. Big Piddles. All right. Uh, for Big Piddles, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party, driven by Mungadass, St. Louis Acura, and all Toyota on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.